are pro cannabis media he is one of the lobbyists for the national cannabis industry association um, in fact i believe his official title is director of government relations for the ncia his name is michael correa michael are you there i am here can you hear me I can hear you fine, and I, and I think we could see you too, which is just terrific. And I so appreciate you joining us here live Friday afternoon for a little a little cannabis chat. Yeah, you know, um, one, I appreciate the opportunity. I love I love talking about cannabis. I love talking about the issue. And strange world, you know, my office is a block from the Capitol, and we almost had a coup attempt uh, two days ago. But I came in here. I came in here. Everything's cool. But it's great chatting with you guys. Well, right. obviously, the first question was, I hope you're OK. And where were you during that action a couple so, of days ago? Like I said, our office right here is um, about a block from the Capitol. And I usually come in every day. One, it's COVID, but to get away from my family and to be able to do some stuff and focus. But I stayed away. I stayed away on Wednesday. And we had one of my coworkers came in, I think, to record a show or something. And he said it started getting crazy. Then he heard gunshots and he's like, I got to get out of here. And so it's just, it's silly season, but you know, now I, I walked around the Capitol yesterday. There's the perimeter. Uh, it's only a day. It only came a day late where they got a perimeter out. There's lots of national guard out there. And if you didn't know what happened on Wednesday and you drove by the Capitol today, you wouldn't know anything was going on, but it, it's silly, but uh, everything's good. And I'm a DC resident. I'm up in Petworth. Um, I stayed up there, but everything seemed to be isolated just right around the Capitol grounds. It, it's it's an amazing city. Um, it, needless to say, it's our nation's capital. My, my brother's been down in that area since 1976 when he graduated Georgetown Law and has been working in the law field uh, ever since he, and then he decided it was a good time to retire. So he made a good move on that. Um, but Michael, tell us a little bit about what you do as a you know, government relations, you're a lobbyist in Washington, D.C. for the entire industry. Walk us through uh, your responsibilities and, and what you what you think you are, how you are perceived as a lobbyist in, in Washington, D.C. Yes. Yeah, so one, um, I, I began this job in 2013. And when I began the job, technically, there had been no legal sales yet in Colorado. That was January 14. Uh, Washington State was July of 2014. And I was sort of an island unto myself. Now, there had always been uh, cannabis reform, the Marijuana Policy Project, Normal, Drug Policy Alliance. Like, there's always been advocates around this issue for many years, but there's never been like an organized industry effort. And so I was the first one. And it was always like cannabis industry. And there's always this sort of snickering about the issue. And, you know, the world was different in 2013. It was it was, hey, you know, my goal was to increase the visibility of the cannabis industry, talk about the issues, uh, bring some professionalism, you know, the suit and tie crowd. Hey, we're just like everyone else. We, we, we want our businesses to be treated just like every other one. And now as, you know, state after state after state legalizes and uh, Congress has evolved on their views because now we're, you know, six, seven, eight years into this. It's a different perspective. And I'm still doing the same thing, increasing the visibility, educating people, lobbying on our issues. But the discussion has sort of changed because eight years ago is, hey, should we be doing this? To now, everyone knows we should be doing this. But how we regulate it, how we go about it, how fast we go about it, that's what sort of changed. And, you know, um, NCIA has been around 10 years, trade association over, you know, a thousand plus 
uh, cannabis industry businesses. Uh, we had our 10th anniversary last year. COVID messed everything up or we would have had a wonderful, a wonderful party around the country, wonderful event. So it's sort of a shame, you know, maybe June, July, we'll get back to start doing events, but we're still lobbying. We're still doing what we can. It's just on the phone, on the computer, because um, uh, you can't go to the Capitol unless you're a staffer. And so there's no physical lobbying, but I'm still doing regular lunches, socially distant lunches, and we're still doing phone calls and doing what we can because um, we have a lot of new freshman members coming and educating them about the issue. And with the election results in Georgia, I couldn't be happier. That changes the dynamic of the Senate. And so uh, my year definitely just got busier um, with the election results in Georgia, and I couldn't be happier. And I'm also joined by uh, David Rabinovitz as a co-host here on Friday. We call this show The Green Rush because, after all, um, that's a cliche these days about the movement towards legalization or at least decriminalization. Now, we do know that there's a difference between those two. And actually, what we're going to do over this next few hours on this show is talk to attorneys from the area. Um, as well as yourself, about the differences between decriminalization and legalization. And even within the cannabis community, there are differences of opinion on what uh, should be the next step, if you will. Uh, what, how do you as a lobbyist decide what's more, I don't even know if it's a goal or easier, um, but certainly targeting decriminalization that was part of the platform of the incoming administration, I would think would make your job a little easier. Am I right or wrong? Yeah, no, you're, you're absolutely right. And to me, you know, I, I worked on Capitol Hill for 15 years, so I was on that side. Um, to me, there's what I would love to do if I were king for the day and what I would do on marijuana reform. And then there is what 218 members of Congress, members of the House will do with 60 senators and the president of the United States. In that, what can we accomplish? And there's low-hanging fruit, like it could be something like research or hemp or decriminalization as you work your way up to medical marijuana to full adult use. So on that scale, there's like low-hanging fruit and then the end goal of complete federal legalization, um, you know, being mean the end goal and what can we do to get up to that point? And so, yes, uh, there's the easy, the easy stuff, which is let's just stop arresting people for this. Stop arresting people in this war on drugs. So no one's lives are ruined because they're consuming a plant that's natural that 30 plus states have said, hey, we're okay with this. There shouldn't be these differences. So just stopping arresting these people and then worrying about what's the next step? What do we do next? What do we do to achieve some of these goals? So that that is a good low hanging fruit uh, issue to address. Oh, I, want to, I, I always like to remind people before they come on the show to silence their phones, um, but, but that's okay. We, you know, we're going to have a kangaroo court on this program, I think. And, and David, you definitely have been fined for being late already today, but I'm going to let you ask Michael a question. Go ahead. <laughs> so, my, Michael, walk us through just a real quick primer. What's the difference between decriminalization and legalization? So decrim usually means like uh, no arresting, prison time, uh, criminal records, first possession, small possession. Uh, it's usually like uh, it's, it's a local, local infraction, uh, a civil versus a uh, heavier charge. And so like a, a, perfect, a perfect example would be, uh, I, I live in DC 
in D.C., cannabis is uh, decriminalized, but uh, there's no legal industry to sell it. So I can I can have it on me. I can grow it. Uh, the other day, I actually uh, had some cannabis with me in a car and I was driving and a cop pulled up behind me. And, you know, I grew up in the 80s, the just say no 80s. And, you know, as and then I started thinking, I was like, what do I got to worry about? A cop can't do anything. And so that to me is that mindset of decrim to where, yes, you are not doing anything. You have the possession of it. So you don't have to worry. The legalization is, okay, now we're going to manufacturing growing. We're going to testing. We're going to taxing. We're going to regulating. We're going to selling it. That's a whole different level. And so, uh, yes, D.C., I, I don't know the numbers exactly, but D.C. arrests have gone down like 90 plus percent when they just decriminalize it. So for the most part, unless you're consuming cannabis right in front of a cop and blowing it in their face, they're probably not going to arrest you. <laughs> they, they should cite you for stupidity if you do yes. that. OK, yes. let's just say that. I don't care if it's decriminalized or legal. That makes sense. All right. Look, so, Michael, we've been doing this show now since uh, September and Every time we get closer and closer to 20 past four, I usually take out about 30, 40 seconds or so to explain how that 420 code began. We talk a little bit about those high school kids from San Rafael, California. They call themselves the Waldos and they used to meet after school. You know this though, right, Michael? You know the origin of this. No. I know it. I grew up from California, but I love it. I love the history. Please keep going on because there's always going to be one little nugget of something. That wow. I Jimmy, I'm impressed. You kept telling me there's got to be one person out there that wants to hear this thing over and over every week. <laughs> <laughs> I never get tired of it. Anyway, yes, they were called the Waldos. They were high school kids at the San Rafael High School. They used to meet after school, 20 past four at the Louis Pasteur statue and catch a little buzz. Now law enforcement being doing their jobs figured out that there was public consumption of cannabis going on at 20 past four on a somewhat regular basis in San Rafael, California. So now that is picked up by law enforcement and they'd use that as their code for hey. Uh, 420 going on at the corner of Main and, and Grove Street. Uh, check it out. And then the cannabis culture caught on and it became they embraced the 420 code. And it now has become a official celebration on the April 20th of every year, but on a somewhat daily basis or what have you. And this all started in 1971, Michael. Now, I know you said you grew up in the 80s. I grew up in this 50s and 60s okay <laughs> and and david what were you the 30s and 40s is that what it was <laughs> oh that's right that's right anyway uh uh there was a song written by a guy by the name of jonathan edwards the song was called shanty have you ever heard shanty by jonathan edwards uh no but if you guys play it later on i'm, I'm definitely going to do a search once the show ends <laughs> well awesome so this guy is from new england and whenever we heard this song in the 70s on a local radio station, it was kind of our moment for 420, let's just say. So we dug up a live performance of Shanty at a radio station in New Hampshire. And every 420 at around this time on this show, we take a little break, we take a breather, we get reorganized, we come back. So sit back and enjoy Shanty by Jonathan Edwards and we'll have more of Cannabis Chat after this.
are Pro Cannabis Media.